This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with the other person who lives in this home and is the other person on this podcast. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Hello. I need to ask you a question other than how are you? So what do you think is the most beautiful audio waveform, just aesthetically? Um, wow. I, I don't know that I've looked at enough different audio waveforms, but I can answer the question that, yes, I do believe audio waveforms can be beautiful. Yeah, right. I, I think when you can start to recognize a specific one, when you've edited podcasts enough that you perhaps even recognize your own yeah, simply in audio waveform, <laughs> that level of understanding of knowing yourself or others, I think that's beautiful. I'm I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I'd like to ask something other than how are you? It is great to be back here with you. Uh, last week, uh, I did an episode of Obsessed with our mutual wonderful friend, uh, Laser M. Weber of the Double Clicks, uh, talking about their great new uh, musical that is coming out very soon and people should go check out uh, Teaching a Robot to Love. Uh, but as Obsessed goes forward, I'm going to try to reach out to a couple more people and do some remote episodes like that. And I'm still going to do episodes uh, with you and I. Are you excited uh, for that, Sarah? I am. <laughs> I am excited. I'm doing a little dance. This would be a terrible time if you said, yeah, no, I'm not excited. <laughs> Want to be done. Want to be done. Uh, we are recording this on a Friday evening. Big, long day. We're so excited to be able uh, to get to this because we are going to talk about our obsession with the Marvel film, The Eternals. We saw this, uh, I can't believe it was only less than a week ago, Saturday. Wow, yeah. <laughs> of last week, uh, but there's been a lot going on in pop culture, and we weren't sure if we were going to talk about this, but then you and I both just were really affected by the movie. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I really, really enjoyed it, and I felt like there was a lot to talk about, and... We'll see how fast the pop culture wheel turns. <laughs> but, you know, a million years ago, uh, also known as four or five days ago, The Eternals was really interesting because it was really dividing people. There was definitely a real microscope it was under in terms of the box office of, I think everybody's kind of waiting for Marvel's first flop, even with in, you know, uh, the pandemic conditions. Uh, and it looked like maybe it was going to be that, but it, it it really did come down to different box office analysts, the way they spun it of like, it made around $70 million domestic opening box office. That's good, right? Or that's a little bad. So it's both the sort of the performance of it in terms of the numbers and also like the emotional reaction to a very different Marvel movie made it this interesting point of debate, which is another reason that I wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, so with that in mind, let's do our caveats. Yeah. <laughs> As always, we like to be really honest and clear with listeners. Uh, we got to see this movie once. It is a, a big, uh, complex movie with many moving parts and lots of different characters. So, uh, you know, I don't have uh, quotes memorized. <laughs> and uh, we once again had the experience. We, we saw it at the El Capitan Theater. It was great. But very similar to No Time to Die, which we saw at Grauman's, it, we were in big, big movie houses that were like half full. And I think I could be wrong, but I think those speakers are adjusted for full theaters. 
And if there aren't enough bodies in there to fully suck up the reverb, it takes me a while to adjust to hearing the dialogue really clearly. I would like at the beginning, I was there were definitely moments where like, okay, I heard all the sounds, but it takes a second before the line locked into my mind. And that got much better as the movie went on for me. But what was what was your just audio experience? Mm, Very similar of my reaction was, I think. I think my ears just aren't working today a few times of and and I feel like I get this way sometimes, especially if I've been doing a lot of listening or listening to things in earbuds where after a while, uh, you know, people say words to me and I'm like my ears are just done processing. <laughs> and so I, th- I had a little bit of that, but it was nothing about the movie. I wasn't done. I was really enjoying it. And you were like, oh, no, but, maybe my ears clocked off early on a Saturday. Right? Like, it's only Saturday afternoon. Come on, ears, get with it. <laughs> um, but I, there were certainly a few lines that I knew in the moment I missed. Yeah, uh, definitely some, like there there was a laugh or, you know, a few applause break or a character saying something a little bit quieter and I didn't quite catch it. I don't feel like I missed anything major about the movie. Like, I knew, I knew the plot. Uh, yes, but me too. Little details here and there. Yeah. Anyway, with those caveats in mind, do you have any other caveats? Um, you said that we've only seen it once? Yep. Okay. We've only seen it once. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll start with that. I'm <laughs> sure there are going to be others. Okay. I feel pretty caveat about it. Okay. Well, maybe you'll have another caveat for my very first question for you, which is, what, if anything, did you know about this movie before we saw it? Had you ever heard of the Eternals? Did you even watch a trailer? What was your experience there? Yeah, so I knew very, very little. I had seen um, many of the casting announcements, so I knew some of the people of who to expect in the film. I had seen the billboards. (laughs) I had seen one trailer, uh, maybe when we saw No Time to Die. Okay, yes, Um, yes. At some point, I saw a trailer, um, but maybe only once. And and you had told me ahead of time that there were like some mixed reactions to it so far. Yeah. That is the entirety of what I knew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I was I knew a little bit more just because of my <laughs> general comic book uh, osmosis. Uh I didn't know the comic books well. I I didn't read them as a kid. The Eternals were really different and interesting to me because like I was aware of them because they were a Jack Kirby thing and you'd see drawings, but when I was reading the Marvel comics, they weren't as integrated. Like um, one of the way that I knew a lot of different things about Marvel and really cared about this strange expanded universe is I had this role playing game and it came with a bunch of well, we bought some little metal pewter guys, but it came with a bunch of little cardboard guys that you could fold out. And it was just like all of these different wild characters, but like the Eternals weren't in there. Like the Eternals were this kind of weird cosmic thing that were a little bit more separated from Marvel as I experienced it. Mm-hmm. I'm not super familiar with the, the more modern interpretations, and I think they've been integrated a little bit more, but I don't know that. So I just kind of knew them conceptually. I knew about the Celestials, uh, these these gods that command them, because that's just kind of a whole side of uh, Marvel that the movies are getting into. Uh the character Galactus is not a celestial, but he is that he he was very integrated and he is this giant floating, oddly designed space deity that eats planets like so that vibe mm-hmm. I was very in tune with, very excited for. It was some kind of visually and a little bit like 
uh, uh, mood-wise, but certainly visually a little bit what I was excited about in Thor Ragnarok, because mm. that pulled very much from Jack Kirby in that this not just alien world, like Guardians of the Galaxy is out in space, mm-hmm. but like Thor and the Eternals in particular have a lot more of that Kirby-inspired uh, weird cosmic vibe. Mm. So I was so interested to see what are they going to do with this weird cosmic vibe, this huge contrast of like Spider-Man is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man who you know, stops a burglary at a bodega. And then these are like children of the gods sent on cosmic missions, like that massive contrast. So I knew that, and I was really curious uh, to see where that would go. And I watched the trailers, and I was intrigued. I really liked the cast. But the trailer, it did feel like the trailers were having a hard time wrapping their mind uh, or communicating exactly what this is Mm -hmm. Uh, so i was really intrigued and for me just as a fan of like yeah no i didn't i didn't grow up to this i don't have any emotional connection to it this is the first marvel movie that if it didn't say marvel on it i wouldn't have made it a priority Mm. so it was really interesting to go in with that sort of super low uh sort of uh, excitement not negative but just not you know, Spider-Man's in in my DNA, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and the Eternals aren't. So it was kind of fun to go in with that. Like, I got no preconceptions other than how does this fit into the, the MCU? Let's go. And that was a really fun way to go in. Yeah. And what a different sort of experience for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really fun to feel like you and I were a little bit more on the same page. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes with some of the superhero stuff that we've watched, I will get excited because like, well, that's the panel from issue 44. Like it, other times I'm not that knowledgeable, uh, but it felt more like we were both like, OK, what's this all about then, Eternals? Uh, and it was fun <laughs> to go into it from that perspective with you. Yeah, yeah. And that's what my uh, I, I didn't mean that in a how fun for you dismissive sort of way. I just meant <laughs> I I often get to have that experience, which I know for for many people is not their experience with a lot of the superhero films and MCU films. But it has been my experience for many of them. And it, I mean, it's it's the only experience I can have because I can't see something for the first time twice. <laughs> uh, but I've really enjoyed going in with kind of that blank slate or just, you know, vague shades of color yeah slate so it was um so that's fun that you got to experience that also yeah and it really was like this idea of like okay we just finished this epic infinity war saga and that was like amazing how much we've combined the heroes we've got you know the street level heroes of spider-man and and kind of the government uh, you know of of captain america and the tech of iron man and the the space of Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy and the mysticism of Doctor Strange. And now we're opening up this other vista that's only been hinted at. And Mm -hmm. this real uh, feeling of how is it going to fit in? Why are we opening this huge vista now? Especially like with Loki, we've we've opened up time travel and, you know, uh, and multiverse. And now here's this other whole field of play with the giant cosmic. Uh, So I was excited and curious to see about that. What was your overall reaction uh, to the movie then? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, um, I, I, okay, this is another caveat. I had a lot of thoughts about it right after we went to the movie. 
And I didn't write any of them down. And it's been about two years since then, even though it's only been five days. In emotional time. So I don't quite remember all of them. Um, But I, um, no, I really, I was just, I was taken in by it very much so by the the overall story, by the um, the characters, by the just, it was a beautiful film. Yeah. Um, both both the scenes on Earth and also the scenes the scenes in space were beautiful. I thought so. Uh, there were just many many things. So I'll I'll start with that high yeah. level. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it too, and I I think for maybe some of the similar reasons. I want to share an experience I had, and, and it sounds a little like what you were describing and ask you if that's accurate to what you were describing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, like, there have been some harsh criticisms of the of Eternals. The people who've loved Eternals have then taken it a little too far to me where they praise it by insulting other parts of the MCU. I've seen some people say, like, finally, a, a real film with depth and ideas, and this is a real film, you know, made by an artist. Uh, and like, I agree with the real film made by an artist, but I don't, I don't agree the <laughs> uh, dissing the other films. Mm-hmm. But what I do agree with is, I felt like this film had like this sort of like this texture in this mood in this flow, and I feel like I really disappeared into this other world that had this uh, very specific like tempo almost. And I think part of that included these really. We're zeroing into these kind of intimate lives of these cosmic beings. But then within that sort of zeroing in, there are so many shots that are just like kind of huge and expansive. And almost in the way it was filmed, um, trying to let the audience feel like these characters who have the, the gift and the curse of seeing things from a big picture perspective. Like their their whole world is always the grand landscape, mm-hmm. right? And then the fact that the film looks like that in space and on Earth, everywhere they go is this kind of large, beautiful, lush landscape. There's something just about the way it was constructed, the way it was shot, that made me feel like I I was got to disappear into the mood of that world. Yeah, yeah, and totally. And I completely agree with what you were saying about it bringing you into the perspective of of these uh, celestials, not celestials, excuse me, Eternals. Eternals. Hello, Sarah. <laughs> of of having that really big, wide view, while also still getting the the minutia of what they're doing on a day to day. But you get that both that sense of um, perspective that they have in terms of the Earth, but also that perspective in terms of what they remember of their lives. That perspective. I feel like it's it's. The 5,000 year gaze <laughs> or view, <laughs> uh, not gaze, view, you know, instead of the 10,000 foot view, it's the 5,000 year view. Yeah. So you're kind of getting both. And it's like you're seeing um, the moments both for what they are, but also for a lot of the other things that have gone on because they've seen so much of this. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much of it that it like reminds me of like a couple of different speeches that the doctor and Doctor Who has gone on over the years or perspective mm. where like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I walk in eternity. I feel the flow of time, but then also that contrast and like, and what I find meaning in is these interactions between individual beings who all matter. And like, that is to me, a part of the core of what the Eternals is are wrestling with as characters. And mm-hmm. the film really communicates that in its, in its visual language, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, I think a couple of the other things that I really liked, obviously some of the visuals were just like, I, I've been dying to see that kind of weird cosmic thing. You know, mm-hmm. the celestial that's being born and those fingers popping out. It's like, well, I, I, I could dislike the entire rest of the film, which I don't. And I would love those shots and those images. Mm-hmm. But I think... Uh, I think you and I were talking about this uh, when we finished the film and we were walking down Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> uh, there was, to me, this great feeling of really squarely dealing with the big superhero question. And I, like some of the critics have said, this dealt with real things. And I think almost all of the Marvel movies have dealt with like characters having real flaws or real problems and all sorts of like big ideas mm-hmm. spread throughout the MCU. But I think what was powerful about Eternals is it was kind of getting to the heart of why are we doing the things that we are doing? You know, we have this great power. Are we using it correctly? Who gets to decide how we use it? Mm-hmm. It's honestly, it kind of reminded me of this big cosmic version of, what's at stake at in the Falcon in the winter soldier where, you know, Falcon becoming captain America doesn't want to just blindly do what he's told. Right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. And he questions like, should I just be protecting the status quo? Cause the government tells me to, or should I be trying to actually change things? And I think in a cosmic way, Eternals was kind of dealing with that same thing of like, should we just do what we're told or should we make a different choice and mm-hmm. should we disrupt the system yeah yeah absolutely yeah. um final thing for me is uh well i guess <laughs> i have two final things <laughs> often uh it re- i also just really like that it avoided the superman problem where there's uh writers over the years who think uh superman's too powerful so you got to depower him a little bit mm-hmm. and i always feel like let's put him in a context where he is challenged about how to use his powers mm-hmm. and i love that the eternals were just like we're all real powerful. Some of us are even more powerful. And the question isn't, you know, um, should you know, the, there's no attempt to depower them. The question is, how should we use our powers? Right. And they're challenged by the morality of using their powers. Yeah, it's absolutely. not like oh, somebody even like obviously the deviant takes it to him in a fight. But you know, I really like that it didn't get hung up on the Superman question. These are just extremely powerful beings who are choosing how to use their power. Mm-hmm. Uh, final big picture thing for me that I just do want to um, acknowledge is uh, I thought the diversity is really great and really important. I obviously want to see diversity on film and in stories in general, but in particular, it was great for this story where they were sent here to nurture Earth along, and you know it looked like an actual representation of humans on the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was great. Oh absolutely 100 percent agree awesome so um let me ask you about this uh how different or similar did it feel to you to the rest of the mcu like Hmm. did it feel like an mcu movie in good ways or bad ways or where did you go with that you know in some ways it did feel like an mcu movie but i many times throughout the film forgot that it wasn't MCU MCU movie, so I would say overall it it felt very different. And I think it's a to me it was a combination of clean break, whole new slate of characters. You know, so that's one uh, you don't have the other people showing up reminding you yeah. where you are for the most part. Um, and so I think um, that was one part that was just very uh, separate to me. But it I 
I don't know. I like I could have easily forgotten that it was an MCU movie. It absolutely makes sense that it is because it does still feel of that world, but it feels different. It's kind of like it feels um, of the MCU world. I know it's a universe, but we're just going for this example. Say world. It's fine. But it's a different planet within that, uh, you know, galaxy. Yeah. Like it feels like it's related, but different. Yeah. I think there's something about its timing that really works for me. Uh, because there's this fun feeling of like, yeah, it is really different. It is still related to everything, but it's almost got this different vibe because it, it almost the acknowledgments to the previous MCU and, and the the plot related ones that mm-hmm. you know uh, the humans bringing back all of the the uh, billions millions uh, billions that it had uh, disappeared is what triggered this emergence. You know, right. so it's. It's plot related, but also kind of the Eternals, some of them pain that they were not supposed to get involved. Uh, but especially um, the the leader, Ajax, yeah. uh, kind of, it felt like in some of her scenes, like she had just finished watching, she had just finished streaming the MCU. Like she was just, <laughs> she had watched it with us, right? Because she's not supposed to get involved. Right. And it's like, she just finished watching Endgame and like, Wow sad some sad stuff happened but wow look at look at what these humans did yeah and that's kind of what those characters are they they are not allowed to be involved Mm -hmm. they believe so it's like they have been watching with us so it kind of was this different perspective on the mcu but also kind of ours in a way not that we're gods (laughs) Uh, yeah 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 no that's that is a good point that it's it it was it was still in the same story yeah, I think for me that that a lot of what was different is just uh, the a little bit of the tone mm-hmm. because they they were you know these long lived beings with a five thousand year view. Um, Thor is older as well, uh, but also I think more than anything it was just the um, the structural change. Like I don't think the MCU movies are as similar as some people do, but I can understand how like. A lot of them follow a three-act structure. A lot of them have an element of origin. So there can be, oh, like now we're getting to this beat where we're going into the third act and it's maybe going to be shaped like this. They literally did an incredibly different structure to have this many characters and to have flashbacks to different times. You know, the way that uh, the plot progressed was a different structure, mm-hmm. which made it really different. I also think that for me, the humor was was different uh, yeah. because... For me, that is the danger of MCU getting too similar. MCU movies getting too similar is it's a classic Marvel thing to do because Marvel has always been the people who have massive powers, but also personal problems. Like that's been the fun of them. Like they're real people with these amazing powers. So it's natural to do the humor of like Doctor Strange can absolutely alter time, but also maybe the sorcerers he hangs out with listen to Beyonce and like those kinds of jokes. Mm hmm. This was really great because a lot of them seemed like Icarus would never make those jokes or maybe even comprehend them. Mm-hmm. But the character Kingo did because that's his character. Mm-hmm. So that kind of Marvel house comedy came from the characters, the Eternals, who made the choice to engage with modern human society. So yeah. it made it, it was there's a little less comedy in it to me, mm-hmm. but it all felt really flowing from the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
Very interesting. Okay, great. <laughs> I agree. Um, I leave the comedy analysis to you. <laughs> oh, well, let me ask you, did did you find moments where you laughed? Did you oh, like absolutely. the comedy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, I'll ask you about some comedy moments uh, a little bit later okay. here in the podcast. Uh, this is kind of a comedy moment for me that I wanted to be sure to ask you about. Was it weird or distracting for you, as somebody who watched all of Game of Thrones, to hear the actor who played Jon Snow say, <laughs> I love you, Cersei. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. In general, uh, for Eternals, there was a lot of that, but it's been happening. It, we talked about it with Dune. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you distracted at all about the sheer volume of actors who are genre hopping? And, and obviously, they're accomplished actors, but then you're kind of making that personal choice for yourself of like, okay, when I see Oscar Isaac, is that just Poe Dameron to me? Is Jason Momoa always Aquaman? Like, where are you at with that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it it really varies for me, and it, uh, you know, I think with Kit Harrington, it is such a. I don't I've maybe seen him in one other thing, but like, I I really don't know him as other characters than Jon Snow. Right. So that is a very specific thing. Whereas it didn't bother me at all that um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm totally blanking on her name. Uh, the actress who plays Cersei. Yes. Um, uh, Gemma Chan. Probably. Gemma Chan. Thank you. Um, is like, even though she's been in other things, that didn't bug me because I don't have her identified with just one character like that. Yeah. Um, and even um, Richard Madden, I've seen in a few different things. And so don't have that same sort of like, you are just one character to me. Yeah. So I think there's some more than others to me. So I would say for me, it's the like, John, uh, Kate Harrington saying that <laughs> would be a little bit like, um, um, oh gosh, my brain, uh, um, Patrick Stewart, yeah, in something else saying something that is a reference to something that he would have said as Picard, right? Like if he was in like some spy movie constantly talking about, you know, do we have the data? You know, be like, that makes perfect sense, but I can't hear Patrick Stewart say the word data without thinking he's talking to Brent Spiner. Right. Or if you're just like, let's and, then, and let's go over here and let's engage or, you know, like, like there's, he's a salsa dancer. <laughs> he's a, make it so right. Like there's certain um, keywords, I feel like, for certain actors that just for better or worse are connected. I've, and I feel like with Oscar Isaac, it's it's the fact it's the spice. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely he is not only Poe Dameron to me, but there's a few things that. Right. And when he says, I want to be a pilot in yeah. Dune, like, OK, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just think it's kind of a fascinating cultural oh, moment where, right? you know, it's actors doing their jobs. And just like Bogart played 18 different kind of tough guys with a sensitive side, you know, yeah, these actors are playing the roles that they're in now, but they're in these different, these genre things where we obsess over the characters. Mm-hmm. And these actors are avatars of the characters. And it is very weird <laughs> when they have these crossover moments. Uh, all right. Let's talk about some of the big ideas like we always want to uh, mm-hmm. here on Obsessed. So uh, first, I want to talk about purpose, the idea of having purpose. I'm going to run down some kind of examples of that I think of how it's at work in the film, and then mm-hmm. we'll discuss. So um, the Eternals have the sort of comfort of having a very direct purpose. Uh, their goal in life, as they are told, is to just punch deviants until you're told to stop. <laughs> I say comfort because I think sometimes... In a very busy, strange world, some of us would want to have the clarity of like, this is exactly your purpose, period. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then they get challenged uh, because they have apparently finished their mission 
uh, but they haven't been called home yet. And then they kind of have to find new purpose. And some of them do better with that than others. You know, a, a lot of them find a new way to engage either, you know, careers or family or relationships or just a, the desire to change and learn. Uh, and others, you know, particularly Icarus, really does not want to change. He wants to be fully and completely defined by his original purpose. So with this big idea of purpose, is this a, a powerful idea to you? Um, do you relate to the joy of having purpose or the fear of not having it? Mm, yeah, I mean, I think it's so fascinating because you, and especially in this context of having having a purpose, doing your purpose for you know, thousands of years, but then your next purpose is kind of to wait. Yeah. Um, and I just, I find it fascinating of the characters that do kind of find other things to, for some of them, fill their time, for some of them, actual honest passions. And uh, I'm not always very good at just sitting and waiting. Yeah. Um, like, if I, in some certain circumstances, yes, but in others, I feel like that would be, that would be the hardest part. Yeah. Um, and also just such an interesting question about that they go on to discover, and I'm sure we'll talk more about, but kind of the purpose being given to them, mm -hmm. that it's not their purpose that they have chosen. Yeah. You know, they're, this is the purpose of what they're supposed to do, and then for whatever reason, they're supposed to keep waiting. And I find that such an interesting idea of when people are, or gods, are self-directed yeah. versus given a mission and, you know, kind of the whole concept of free will and yeah. how that all ties together. Yeah. And we will definitely talk about the free will side I of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a big part of the component of it. But I'm just fascinated by the, the purpose element of it of, I think, I often crave to be less busy, right? Mm -hmm. But then when I do just have kind of open free time, this having that lack of direction is then I, then I'll be like sitting there going like, well, I'm trying to relax, but I crave having a target that I'm shooting for. And then I know when it's completed, you know, or like in some ways, the Eternals feels like this massive um, metaphor for retiring at a young age. Like it, uh, it's I. It reminds me of people I've talked to about who who have you know led a good life. They've done kind of. Um, I'm not saying they're brainwashed or don't have free will, but they've kind of done what society <laughs> says, right? Uh, uh -huh. So I don't want to make that comparison, but like society, particularly at different ages, can say, get a good job, make money, have a family. That's the goal. You did it. And then if somebody does all those things and retires early, and then goes, cool what now that that's both glorious and frightening mm. and that's kind of what happens to the eternals of like well we, we we did our thing and it worked out great and now we're kind of waiting to see if we have to do more <laughs> yeah before whatever happens next and i just i think that's maybe what really hooked me as it slowly became clear in the film that that's what was going on with them of who uh you know prospers when they're given the opportunity to do whatever they want on this planet mm -hmm. and who's just like waiting to punch a deviant. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's what I'm, I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. And that's so true. And from that perspective, um, give me all the free time, please, <laughs> <laughs> because I will fill it. Um, but I think where I was coming from, which is not accurate to the film. So this is 
uh, but just that idea of like almost stasis, you and I have both worked in museums. And it's that idea when you have to stand in a place waiting to see if anybody needs you. And even though, and I think maybe this was part of why of it, of the like the not being able to interfere in other things. Like even though you see that there are other things going on, like maybe there's a massive spill in the room next to you, but you can't leave where you are. Oh yeah, and help with anything else or do other things that are on your to do list. Yeah, like you're just there and you have to stay there until somebody else tells you you can move. And when I was saying I'm not good at just being a place, that's what I was thinking of. That but but that brings up this is I think what makes the film so rich is because it, it all works together but you can analyze it from different perspectives or nuances mm-hmm. uh, one of our favorite words here on obsessed uh, but yeah that nuance of having like you have this very specific purpose <laughs> you know it, it is like if you were like uh, you are a guard at a bank but you can only guard this teller and if any of the others are robbed. <laughs> just hold your peace you know like yeah 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 it, right? and obviously some of the characters suffer through that uh, druig in particular right of, yeah of, you know we'll talk about the free will but wanting the free will to be like why why are we just helping them with this one thing yeah yeah um how do you feel about you know the character of icarus uh not being able to bring himself ultimately to fulfill his purpose uh he does a, a lot of horrible things he kills ajak he, he lies to everybody because he's so committed to we have a purpose i'm not deviating from it <laughs> uh poor choice of words <laughs> i'm going to kill the deviant uh but then ultimately he is unable to follow through because he cannot bring himself uh, to kill this woman he loves uh, uh cersei mm-hmm. how did you feel about the way that idea of purpose kind of came to a head in that moment Mm. Um, well, I would, I, I, let me just stammer a little bit while I think about what I'm trying to say. I think that, um, I actually really like that idea because I like the idea that he has been, um, so focused and so certain that this is what he needs to do. But to me, my interpretation of it is what he finds in that moment is these 5,000 years of, loving her but the way i interpreted it also you know we see that for a scene when he reaches out to her of i see you love these humans so i'm gonna have to learn to appreciate them also Mm, and i feel like in that moment it's both about it's much more about her but in saving her it's also is a little bit about else it is a little also about um the the love and um respect that she has for humanity that is also stopping him. So it's almost like some of that has gotten into him without him realizing it. Yeah. And it's like that, that compassion is in him. He just didn't realize it. And in that moment, it stops him from acting. Yeah. I really love that. I thought he was fascinating because he seemed like a guy who's just like, I am a guy who's really great at staying on mission. Mm. And what it was coming down to for me a little bit was, kind of the ideology versus the reality and talk about this a little bit more too because i think that was so at stake for just the explicit argument between the eternals when if they're going to allow the emergence to happen and in earth to be destroyed but just that idea of okay conceptually on paper evolution is necessary we know that evolution is often violent one thing has to die so another thing can be born that ideology is solid great but the reality of it is me looking at you this real person 
who loves these real people who are really here right now. And it is not an, an essay. <laughs> I'm writing in college. I'm in, I'm out and uh, having the impact on real beings mm-hmm. that I thought was a really deep and a really interesting idea about how we form our own ideology, but also just about the superhero genre about it's one thing to have. You're like, here's my motto. It's another thing to really relate to the people who are affected mm-hmm. by your motto or your purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of one of the, the boldest, darkest things that my take was he kind of just didn't want to live without a purpose, right? Of like, he relented and he saved the earth because he, you know, for, for all the reasons we discussed, but then he's just like, I'm going to go fly into the sun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of took it as a, he couldn't complete the mission. And so that was how he, the way that he could deal with that. Yeah. Because he was all about his purpose. Mm-hmm. So for me, a, a little bit of it, my interpretation does come down to kind of a cautionary tale about how great uh, the purpose, having purpose can be and how dangerous being only about your purpose mm-hmm. can be. Uh, let's talk about evolution. Yeah. Is it destruction or creation? A fun discussion <laughs> in this um, knock em up super movie. Um, so the Eternal's job, in theory, uh, was to kill deviants so humans could evolve. Uh, then they learn that their real purpose is to nurture humanity and planets in general so that those uh, planets and the humanity there can die in service and of the birth of a celestial. Uh, there's discussion at the very top about the uh, natural truth of apex predators. So that stuff is seeded in immediately. Uh, there is general view of in, uh, in discussion that old life must die for new life to be born. Uh, also in terms of uh, evolu- evolution, and we got the deviant uh, crow, who is managing to evolve, uh, but still, even once a crow is evolving, all they want is the death of the Eternals Mm. (laughs) in vengeance. Um, Icarus murders Ajax to try to stop the other Eternals from being uh, aware of change. So there's all these uh, pictures of evolution that are about the sort of the destructive view of. Mm -hmm. Somebody's got to be on top. There's always a predator. The death of one being allows the life of another, right? But then I feel like the film kind of goes on to show a lot of the Eternals evolving in creative ways or because they've made connections. So almost more the view of evolution is creation rather than destruction, right? Mm. Uh, So Cersei has a relationship with uh, Dane Whitman, Jon Snow. Uh, Kingo is creating films. He's making something, right? And he Mm -hmm. has this great relationship, uh, obviously, with many people, but we see with his uh, valet, uh, Karan, I believe. Fastos has a human family, which is this huge hinge point of the movie, right? Uh, Gilgamesh and Athena find this solace in the loving relationship that they create. Mm -hmm. So they've created something kind of new. Uh, And then Sprite is really defined by her inability to evolve. She can experience things because she's a, a child. And the only person that she really deeply wants connection with is Icarus. Uh, so she can ironically only move on after he has destroyed himself. So there is a little bit of a cycle there where once he is gone, she can evolve. Mm -hmm. So I just thought it was really interesting that it's clearly not at all subtle. (laughs) One of the first lines in the film about apex predators is about evolution. That's the actual debate between the Eternals, but then just really analyzing all of these images of, is it destruction or is it creation? And do we get to, choose how we see the process yeah um 
what did you end up feeling ultimately that the movie was saying about evolution? Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm sorry. I just need to back up to say that was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Everything that you just said. Um, Yeah, that was amazing. And a lot to take in and think about. Yeah, sorry. No, it was fantastic. I'm just kind of half thinking about that while also trying to answer the question. Um, But in terms of ultimately about evolution and creation, is that... Yeah, I mean, well, how did you end up feeling? Like, I guess maybe a, a more simple way to even say it is by the time you're walking out of the film, did it feel life-affirming or did it feel like you were leaving with the feeling of like, it's too bad that, you know, there's a cycle of death and rebirth, but that's the way it is. That's the way it's got to be. Or did mm. you feel more affirmed of like, you know, we don't have to look at that at changes, death changes could be growth. I, I would say I very much walked away with change as, as growth. Okay. Um, for for most of our main characters, um, including in a weird way for Icarus. Um, yeah, because he you did. You know, because he did not. He did make a change. He made a change. He wasn't happy with it, it appears, but yeah. he did change. Yeah, and kind of acknowledged that he couldn't evolve or cope with the fact that he couldn't evolve. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah. he really, that was the biggest, like, I'm a dinosaur. I can't evolve. Yeah, (laughs) I understand we text instead of email now, but I can't cope with that. (laughs) So I'm gone. Yeah. And even just kind of the the way it ends. um, And obviously, we did not give our spoiler caveat, but. Oh, I knew we missed a caveat. Awooga, awooga. But with the way it ends and some of the characters staying on Earth and some going elsewhere. And I know there's more (laughs) more to it than that, but. Their choices of where they yeah. end. Um, I feel like even that is a, a way of showing the evolution of how are they reacting to this information that they have been given and then what the actions of what happened. And the like, I mean, this is kind of a, a weird way maybe, but with the um, the celestial half coming out of the ocean and then just being there is almost like its own it's like you see the earth evolving, but not totally changing. Yeah. And I, I kind of like all the, I feel like there's so many different, it's almost like um, just so many different interpretations of it from the very literal evolution or destruction um, that we see throughout to all of these uh, nuances. Um, <laughs> I like your nuance <laughs> beep. gotta gotta celebrate when i get to say it um but to all these nuances of it yeah no i agree i think that's really where it did um come down is that a lot of it just hinged on this big picture question of the celestials going kind of this giant cosmic shrug of like "Eh, well things die so other things can live except that it's nature that there's this kind of pushback of like Sometimes, yes, sometimes there's no other way for something new to happen without something old going away. But that doesn't mean that all change has to be violent. Look Mm -hmm. at all these ways that we changed and we moved on from the old, but it wasn't violent. It wasn't without compassion, right? Mm -hmm. And I I think the fact that there are these... um, godlike beings the eternals with this 5000 year view that they could be cold and distant and unattached in the fact that they have so much compassion in so many different ways and and you know like kingo i think his film stuff is so great cuz it's just like 
he's got a zest for life. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And a nuanced, interesting perspective. He's like, ah, I just listened to Icarus, and I'm not sure about this, so I'm going to be in just, an, <laughs> I'm going to abstain. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, uh, the, the little uh, side side thought there. But I think just that real that picture of honestly nuance. Really, it, it's not all. It's not all. Uh, not all of evolution has to be death. There are other ways to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I really liked uh, that big picture feeling and all the thoughts it left me with. Yeah. Uh, kind of ran down some of these examples of how the Eternals were evolving. Uh, were there's in, was there any particular storyline uh, of evolution that really ho- hooked you or just like watching a character wanting to change or trying to change that you uh, felt affected by? Uh, yeah, definitely. I would say, I mean, certainly Sprite mm-hmm. with wanting to change and then when she was actually faced with the opportunity at the end to be able to become human right, and change, taking that opportunity of like, okay, that means you're going to age, you're going to go through all these things, but then you will also die. Yeah. but Yeah. And talk but, about embracing like evolution as death, but also joy because yeah. like, yeah, eventually I'll die. But first I get to experience all of these things. Yeah. But first I get to live. Yeah. But first mm-hmm. I get to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just no. got really excited by that. Yeah. There's so many details in this film that you could talk about. Yeah, oh, goodness, right? I mean, that's, I think, part of <laughs> my brain is swirling over here, just so you know. <laughs> so I'd say that's um, that's definitely a, a big one to me. Um, and maybe this is a, a, a different perspective, but um, Drig trying to kind of stop evolution with his little uh, compound that he's <laughs> that he's got yeah. there is is an interesting way of trying to control and control evolution not happening. Yeah, um, which is kind of the opposite of what you're asking. Sorry, but I find it. But I found it very interesting. And then his journey um, of not wanting to join the others, but then joining because he actually. They need. I mean, they needed all of them, but he. They needed him. Yeah, and and he cares. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. about at least some of the other Eternals. Yeah, no, he's really fascinating perspective on evolution too, because like he he's got this really understandable perspective of like, well, if here, we're here to save them, why can we only save them from these particular beasts? Mm-hmm. Why can't we, you know, save them for everything? But then he almost starts to come across as like, you know, he love. He's very compassionate towards humans, but he's also kind of frustrated by them. So he almost just kind of seems like this. A uh, helicopter parent for humanity, <laughs> where he's like, uh, "I want the best for you, and you don't know what it is, so I'll literally take your free will away, and I'll tell you." Yeah, and it's like that's compassion, right? No, it's awful. Which yeah. you know uh, ties into this big idea of free will. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'd say the other one that really struck me is Faustus. Mm, yeah, um, because you see, or the way we're you know the story is presented to us of seeing him um you know so excited about all the different technology and when can the humans maybe be prodded in this direction or that direction and the um utter devastation when then the bomb goes off right and just wanting to totally disconnect and then instead finding a a different sort of evolution for him yeah. of finding a family and finding the small joys rather than the big overpowering uh changes yeah the macro versus the micro yeah Yeah. absolutely and so seeing that as another form of evolution um i'd say is the other one that's the strongest to me yeah i thought that was really really great um and yeah talk about threads of 
Uh, I'm helping them evolve. I'm nudging them along. Oh, they have turned evolution into death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now I'll run away from it all and find this this little version of this little but incredibly meaningful version of this immediate family, these real people yeah. that I care about that are not concepts. They're not humanity making a new new tech. They're real individual humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also like one of the, for me, one of the big successes of the film talking about which stories of change grabbed you. I think Cersei worked really well for me as an overall perspective character. Mm. Like she's the one that we come in with mm-hmm. and to see that she is kind of trying to live this human life and she's kind of got this family of Sprite is kind of her weird kid and she's kind of trying to have this new boyfriend and she wants to have a job. She's interested in history <laughs> and teaching and she's running late and like uh, she's such, she's so human. And then I think for me, her story of thinking that uh her her powers are limited and they're not mm-hmm. is really powerful i think being uh foisted into a role of leadership and the burden of that Ooh. is really powerful and yeah. i just kept wanting i just wanted everything to work out for her it, it, she worked really well as a perspective character it was like i want you to evolve i want you to become whoever you want to be i want you to date who you want to be <laughs> who you want to and i want to use you to use your powers how you want to like yeah that worked really well for like I want to see Cersei's goal board, and I want to see her meet every goal, you know? Totally, right? No, she was a fantastic perspective character. Yeah, which is just going to give this fun feel to the, the, the power of the day-to-day evolution that we all mm-hmm. go through. Uh, let's talk about free will. Yeah. So, free will. Yeah. Uh, here's uh, some of the examples of that uh, that I picked out. Uh, of course, we have um, Thena being uh, distraught because she is half aware of this truth that has been kept uh, from them. Uh, remembers past lives and this cycle of uh, a death and rebirth and forgetting the people she loves and mm-hmm. all that and uh, the lie of their purpose. So uh, she is dancing on the edge of this knowledge that their free will has been taken from them by a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, Druig, like we talked about, wants to complete his mission by <laughs> specifically taking away humans' free wills, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to help them. Uh, Cersei realizes that she can mutate organic creatures, but was lied to about her full potential. That is, I think, another way of kind of taking away your free will when you're told that you can't do something that you absolutely can. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the Eternals uh, reject their mission ultimately because they're being used. Um, they're, they're not being given a choice in this mission that was given to them uh, by the Celestial Arishem. And you even get this picture uh with Kingo, I'd have to, you know, see it again to, to really uh, drill down on this. But I really like this idea in some of the debates that some of the Eternals might even be okay with destroying the world. They might even be okay with that ideology, but they are not okay with their choice being taken away by being mm-hmm. lied to about what this mission is. And, like, you even get that sense of, like, well, if Ereshem had said, it's sad, but this is the way it is, this is what you're doing, maybe we could have. But he took our choice away mm-hmm. and that that is a part of the motivating factor for some of them to to stop yeah. the emergence yeah so uh let me ask you this about free will uh would you be more upset about destroying the world or that you weren't asked first which one is more upsetting to you <laughs> um if i'm gonna destroy the world either way that I wasn't asked first. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, if if that's the end outcome in either a scenario, totally that I wasn't asked first. Yeah. Did you you brought up these idea of free will, this idea of free will 
earlier, was this uh, powerful to you in the movie? Did you relate to their anger about being lied to? Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's the free will and also the um, the identity as well, because they're actually not the people that they think they are. Yeah. Um, so that is also part of free will being taken away. Um, and this concept of you think you know what your purpose is and you think you're doing things for that reason and then you find out it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. And yeah, that, I mean, I found that very affecting. Um, and I'd be so curious to, having no idea that that was where this was going, I'd be so curious to see the film again with that perspective from the beginning. Yeah, me too. I would love to see it again. Yeah, and, and one of the things I didn't write down but I thought was really powerful as well of that uh, realization that uh, the deviants aren't just cool, mindless monsters. And mm-hmm. that's, when me to me, one of those ideas that really tapped into we're examining superhero reality. Because, boy, did I I'll talk about it in the action scenes. Uh, I really enjoyed watching just superheroes blast monsters with eye lasers. That's fun. But it's this weird, like, it brings the audience into the culpability a little bit because that's this thrilling action. And then they go, wait, wait this deviance it, it had a totally different perspective? <laughs> We're just trying to survive too? Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, just the anger there was really relatable because uh, we against the audience were brought in on it, right? Of like, yeah, yeah heroes punch them monsters. Oh, they weren't just monsters. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, the, I I have, I I think I am, uh, I am aware uh, in myself that I'm very sensitive about being told what to do. I don't mind following somebody's lead and I like having mentors and I like learning things. But because of my own life experiences, it enrages me to think the difference between somebody saying, hey, uh, could you help me with this? Or, hey, I see you don't know how to do this. Let me help you with that. Versus somebody assuming and taking away my agency. It is so, I mean, (laughs) you are laughing knowingly because uh, in general, I think it's, uh, yeah, everybody should have their agency. I'm. I can be super sensitive about it and I'm aware of that and try to work on it. Uh, but it's there. Yeah. If I may just do for our listeners what you do, sometimes do for me and all of my gestures, I'm actually la- laughing just because I can see the rage that is starting to come <laughs> off of you, uh, even thinking about the concept of it. So it's uh, it's coming out in your hand gestures. Yeah. I think maybe that's it for me. It's just like even that word agency of like free will it's almost like the movie, like free will can get to be this sort of ideological, like, do we have it or are things predestined or are, you know, things going to happen the way they're going to happen? What does free will mean? How much power do we even have? It can get kind of floaty and ideological. But then when you just frame it as like agency, Mm -hmm. you get up in the morning and you choose whether you're going to turn right or left. Do you want that taken away from you in the moment, in reality? Yeah. Well, and that's almost the thing here, right? Because they, they, did have or thought they had other than Thena um, and Ajax and Icarus. <laughs> but the rest of them thought they had agency. Yeah. And so they thought they were they'd been given a ton of it now, right? Like, right. Go find a life. Yeah. And so to suddenly find out, no, you don't have agency and everything you've been doing is actually going to be taken away from you. And you've been helping to cause what is going to take it away from you is um uh yeah i mean like that's that's tearing away 
something that you have. Yeah. Which to me is so much harder than if you don't have agency, but you don't know that. Yeah. Whereas if you have all this agency and then you're told like, oh, what you've actually been doing this whole time, whether because you were directed to do it or because it's what you naturally wanted to do and was your natural instinct, is you've been leading yourself toward this moment where all agency will be taken away and you will undo all of the things that you have cared about for millennia. Right, because the specific mission is nurture the humans. Yeah. Because we need them healthy and happy so we can burst free. And yeah, I mean, there's some analogies going in my mind that are too depressing. I'm not even going to make them, but... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So let's talk about that. This is the big last big idea. I think um, in order to tell these stories of evolution and uh, free will and purpose, I feel like family is such a big idea. Right. The Eternals themselves are this weird family. Um, Then they form subfamilies throughout the years. Uh, Mm -hmm. Makari, I believe, is how to pronounce it, but I might have missed that. And Druig, uh, they certainly flirt. Uh, They appear to have a relationship and, and care about one another. Obviously, Cersei and Sprite are in this, this sort of familial uh, relationship. Uh, Kingo, hero-worshipping Icarus, you know, uh, uh, Gilgamesh and really taking care of Thena. They form all these little subfamilies. Uh, the way they ultimately win is by really emphasizing connection and unity, uh, creating that uh, uni-mind to stop the emergence. And then, uh, I think, to some extent, like, the hinge of the decision of what to do is this big conceptual idea of, um, like I said, ideology versus real human people, which I would argue is really family, right? Mm-hmm. Of Do you see humans as a concept? Are they your people that you love? Mm-hmm. Um, so all of this for me is to ask you the very important question is, would you choose me over destroying the world? <laughs> What would you do if I said no? I would have agency and free will because I would know that that's the truth. And I could make choices based on that. Uh, Yes, I would choose you over destroying the world. (laughs) How did you feel about the general picture of of family in in the Eternals? Yeah, I I really, you know, I like, here I go. This is a good one for nuance. Um, I like a good nuance story about family. Um, And I liked all the different interpretations of it and how you saw it when they were all together and that feeling of, are we going to, you know, split up and go our different ways? How do we feel about that? Should we have stayed together? Should we have gone and found our own lives? Which I feel like is another part of, you know, family and people going their own ways, but also that feeling of should we stay together? Yeah. Uh, in location, if not necessarily in the same yeah <laughs> same and- spaceship. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I really i I thought it explored the ideas of family in a lot of different ways, and and also the idea of found family with the families that some of them are making with the humans. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just works so well with Fastos in particular that we 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 certainly met him in flashbacks, but to wait until like his meeting his life seeing his life since they all split up is you know later in the film and it Mm -hmm. lands so successfully because we see all these different ways that they found purpose and different levels of engagement with human culture and a lot of them you know are living you know separated and just seeing his real life you know it was the trailer joke but the you know the Icarus smashing the table and going, I bet this is vibranium. And, and he's like, fall collection Ikea. It's like, it's a funny joke. And when I saw it in the trailer, it's like, eh, it's Marvel humor. But then when I saw it in the film, it like, it 
resonated because he's like, I am down into the details of living this real, real life. Mm -hmm. So when you all spout to me, you should accept this because it's an ideological truth that evolution means the death of new life or or the death of old life to create new life. Mm -hmm. Hey, Fastos, why don't you accept that? And he's like, that's my son. This is the actual book I read to him. This is the real, real, real human face of that giant ideology. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that idea of family is so important to selling that. Yeah. Um, would you form a uni mind? I mean, with just anybody? <laughs> no. Uh, if you had to save the world, would you form a uni mind uh, with like a bunch of uh, family members? Sure. Sorry, that sounded so casual. Like, sure, whatever. I mean, what are we doing on Sunday afternoon? Come on. Form a uni um, mind. I mean, I, I'm going to go ahead and put it out there that if there's something that I can do of that nature to save the world, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm going to take that step. Okay. Uh, would you form a uni mind to get a discount on car insurance? No. <laughs> okay, there we have our metrics. Yes for <laughs> saving the world. No for a discount on car insurance. Uh, so we're going to move on from the big uh, themes and talk about a few details here. Yeah. Um, did you find it hard to relate to the characters because they were these uh, very powerful cosmic beings with a 5,000-year uh, view, as you said it? Because that has been one of the criticisms of people saying, like, I don't know, it's just it's kind of cold and distant, and I can't relate oh. to them, is what, what some of the criticism has been. Interesting. Yeah. No. I <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some more than others, but I feel like that's the sign of a good movie cause, and, or story because most stories you don't necessarily relate to every single character. And there were a lot of characters. And yeah. there were a lot of characters, but absolutely, I felt many of them were very relatable. Yeah. Or if not relatable of like, oh, this is my experiences, it's kind of the like, oh, this is, I see this as human experiences that I see around me. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I fantasize about having powers too often, but I found these uh, extremely powerful godlike beings very relatable. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think it was because that's, you know, yeah, it, it did take time to meet all the characters, um, and, and it, it did ask you to really pay attention to track the relationships and the perspectives, uh, but I think you are rewarded by that because you get this wide of, uh, variety of relationships to humanity. Like, I don't think Icarus was supposed to be super relatable because he was the guy who's just like, I I did one human thing pretty much. I fell in love with Cersei. And uh, other than that, I'm just purpose, purpose, purpose. Show me a deviant to punch. Let's go. (laughs) Great. Uh, So he is a little distant. He is a little stoic, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But then Kingo is like, I love life. Right? I love humans. I love telling stories about humans. I love my, uh, my eternal family. Just everything is... Uh, you know, fun and alive in these these different levels of humanity. And and again, why why Cersei worked is the is the human perspective uh, because she did feel powerful and and like an amazing superhero, but also somebody who's like, but I I want to really experience real life. Yeah, yeah, and I think to me it it helped that we started with seeing her, you know going to the natural history museum and teaching a class and you're starting to teach a class yeah you know some very um running late like some very real world things and you know we've all done that so naturally we could all cause a a falling fossil to disintegrate into sand so it didn't injure somebody like (laughs) i i see no problem with this uh 
connection of reality. Yeah, I mean, we've all made elaborate knives for humanity at the, you know, er earliest <laughs> of civilization and then see it advertised on a digital billboard. Right? I know, yeah. yeah. Just another day. It happens to all of us. No, but I mean, but that, that to me, that's, how do you tell a story like that? That story that we as humans can actually experience. None mm -hmm. of us know what it's like to live for 5,000 years. Right. But that, I love that cut from here's, here's me creating this blade, this ornate gift of violence <laughs> mm -hmm. to help humanity. And here it is on a digital billboard because it's in a collection now. Yeah. It's, wow. So great. Uh, let's talk about sexy times. Uh, this is uh, the first Marvel film that did have a sex scene. How did you feel about mm. that? Oh, you were taking a... <laughs> I was taking a little sip of water. Uh, well, I had to laugh because... So we went to, as you know, an afternoon showing. Mm -hmm. um, and there were a bunch of kids there. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of kids who were not into the sexy times. And I believe I heard I feel like, ew! Um, so, it, it, honestly, it was perfect because I did just have that like, oh, well, this isn't normally... And then I think I, as my brain was in that, like, well, this is, and then I heard, ew, it just, it just made me laugh. Not the actual scene, but just yeah. that combination. I have, I have no problem with it. I enjoy it. They're, you know, enjoying their lives in their bodies, this version of their bodies. That's great. Um, but it, it was also fun to get it with that very real perspective for part of the audience. Yeah. Which is like, gross, don't show me that. I thought it was great from the film perspective of, you know, the, it, it, to me it matched the tone of this film it yeah. matched this like you know that very early beat with Icarus and and uh, uh, Cersei looking at the planet going it's beautiful isn't it and like him really it feels like he is letting his armor go a little bit and mm -hmm. just allowing himself um, to truly be with another person I don't want to make any sex jokes but like to truly like be real and be here and, and be intimate and be connected and I think it was powerful to make their relationship human Mm -hmm. And like, I think you needed moments like that in order for his, you know, his not being able to kill her at the end to play. So like, I yeah. thought it worked so well as a film of developing the relationship, but I had to stop and go back and reanalyze it because I had the same experience that you did in the theater of, yeah. if, for people who've never been to El Capitan or maybe don't know about it, it's it's Disney's theater and they do light shows. There's an organist who disappears in a trap door and then there's, you know, somebody in a bright jacket who tells you a bunch of happy things. Like, it is, like, this little theater is Disneyland, you know, mm -hmm. in a theater. And so it has that Disney energy of, like, sparkles and holidays and then to kind of just be in that mood mm -hmm. and in this weird thing that we have where like everybody knows i'm sure the movie's pg-13 every i know that you know this weird thing where we're super okay with violence but this one moment of intimacy i did feel i was like how many are there is there a child near me because <laughs> i did hear i heard like just the massive sounds of rustling Oh, you know, yeah. throughout the theater and, the, Ew, and a couple of like nervous laughs and that. So yeah. It was a really weird experience. It, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I agree with you. And I feel like showing Icarus um, both both where he by the end can't kill Cersei, but also showing how close how close a relationship that they have. I mean, not not that we need it, but just kind of showing the humanity, right. showing the absolute, hum the physical humanity of it. Um, and then showing that he is, he needs to do his, he needs to follow his purpose and is going to go against all of 
all of his family, including his lover for 4,000 years, um, it also makes that his um, going against them very strong. Yeah. And, you know, I I know there's lots of lots of thoughts and opinions, but I think you make a really good point. There's so much violence out there. Let's include a little love. <laughs> yeah, let's include a little love between Eternals. Uh, odd segue then to talk about the action <laughs> moments, but did you have any favorite action moments? I know we only saw it once, but is there anything that uh, oh, jumped out at you? I mean, so many, but um, yeah, yes and no that in terms of what stuck with me. The deviance overall, like I found the deviance to be a fascinating um, creature, Yeah, if that's the right word for them, but just kind of... The way that they were shown, the way that they were animated, the way that they evolved, um, the way that the fights with them evolved, I I really enjoyed a lot of the action scenes with the Deviants. Um, two particular moments. One, I don't recall exactly which scene it is, but it might be when they're in Babylon, when they have all the people behind the big blue door yeah, and the Deviants can't get through. Um, which isn't really an action scene, but I really liked it. <laughs> well, no, but it, I would count that as action because the deviants it. are throwing themselves at the wall and you're stressed yeah. about whether it's going to hold and they're trying, yeah, they're trying to stop them. Yeah, and then it's showing their power also. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other moment is the moment that you had referenced uh, earlier is when they're in the um, the jungle with the, the big fight with the deviants and um, Cersei gets brought underwater by the one and changes its organic structure. Yes. And I, that right there is my favorite. Yeah, that image of it becoming a tree, right? Mm-hmm. The the Go figure. <laughs> the the power in of that. Yeah, her power in that moment, but also like this kind of beautiful image of uh, sudden evolution and death and rebirth of it's a tree now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely great. Um there's there's a ton that I liked. I really liked that kind of first big fight um in modern times on the streets of London, mm. seeing Sprite's cool powers and how she was using them, you know, yes. to kind of try to keep other people safe and also kind of trying to keep the Eternals somewhat undercover and uh Dane Whitman's just kind of holy bleep <laughs> uh, attitude about everything was really great. Um I really liked towards the end, and this was the the place in our viewing where there was a huge applause break no applause break for the sex scene but there was an applause break for this of uh when Thena finally did defeat the deviant crow oh yeah and that big slice Thena was also really uh, powerful to me because in some ways she fit into a stereotype that that we have of the kind of the unstoppable badass but then it was great to see this unstoppable badass in trauma mm-hmm. in like understandable trauma you really felt for her and to see her kind of you know be able to pull everything together not just kill the bad guy because she's a badass but have it also be this you know journey through really legitimate trauma to get there Mm -hmm. that was really cool to me and then uh, like i I think they did a good job of making you understand where icarus was coming from but also kind of wanting some of the other eternals to just pound him (laughs) (laughs) uh and in particular um haven't got a chance to talk to a lot about uh, this character, but uh, Makari mm. uh, with the super speed, lots of cool moments. Um, that uh, actor is also on Walking Dead, and I think she's just really magnetic. Um, and the that scene where like you're stronger than me, but I'm faster, so I'm going to punch you 
more than you can deal with, (laughs) faster than you can deal with, was real cool. That was an amazing scene on the beach there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was really great. Uh, So uh, going away from the big action and the punching, did you have some favorite comedy moments or any beats that that stuck with you? Mm. Um, I mean, I love the... uh, the introduction when the uh to um when we get to see the bollywood filming yes right yeah. i mean that was pretty phenomenal yeah. uh i think what was so genius about that is the slow reveal that kingo was performing like for a film right mm-hmm. uh and maybe people who who love bollywood more recognize it but for mm-hmm. me it was just sort of like obviously come uh, on Gianni is incredibly funny uh but it would that just like there was this delicious humor in we've seen a lot of the Eternals kind of struggling and who is this guy who's just loving life showing off his muscles dancing and then the full pullback to kind of realize what's going on it's just great layers of comedy yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah that was definitely one of the huge uh huge moments for me um early on I think uh Dane uh, uh, thinking Cersei is a wizard like Doctor Strange. That whole early <laughs> conversation of like, well, Sprite's telling me things. And like, you broke up with your boyfriend 100 years ago? What is the deal? Uh, that that all was really successful to yeah. me because it was it, it was this brief moment of super weird superhero romantic comedy. Yeah. No, that was great. Yeah. That's another great one. Uh, final thing for me is I don't remember all the details of it because it, we only saw it once. But uh, I liked the weird... Uh, drink that Gilgamesh made. Mm. I, I think he fermented his spit. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was just really great. Of like he, you know, he and Thena were out there kind of roughing it. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I, I used what I had. <laughs> that was very funny stuff. Um, oh, you know, the valet having all the cameras. Oh and they right, ca- keep oh, getting yeah. destroyed. And he keeps having more of like, well, I'm doing my job. I'm yeah, trying to do a documentary. Yeah, no, that's I had forgotten about that one. That's yeah. a great one. Very, very good one. Uh. As we head towards wrapping up here, I have to ask you a very important question. If you were an Eternal, which of their powers would you want? I know. It's so hard to choose, isn't it? <laughs> so, so hard to choose. Um, I mean, so Cersei's power is pretty cool. Yep. Pretty yep. fun. Yep. Um, lots of different ways to apply that, right? Right. Um, Ajax being able to heal things. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yep. Gotta say, Sprite's powers, really, really cool. And this is this doesn't really fall under comedy or action, but one of my favorite scenes, if I may, please, is um, showing her telling the story of. Um, I, th- well, I think it's actually two different things. One where she's you know showing the stars moving up in the sky, the fake stars. Yeah, and also her at one point being like, "Oh yeah, I started that story about Gilgamesh." Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know. I and like, mean, yeah, they added the A to Athena. It's just Athena. Got yeah. It, you know. Yeah. But I, because Gilgamesh is, you know, one of the first written stories and all, like, I just, I loved that. Yeah. Whole concept. You know what else I loved? So we just sort of throw in some other things we loved. Yeah. Which is another idea about evolution of like Kingo so kindly telling Sprite of like, I started making movies and telling stories because i missed it when you used to tell us all stories yeah and just that that actual literal the truthful connection of our instinct as humans to tell stories evolving from the community and the spoken word in the amphitheater to <laughs> as we record today today was disney plus day here's all the things that are coming on streaming and it can feel a million miles away but it is this evolution of 
we we crave stories. Yeah. Yeah. So there, that I feel like that's enough. I've already had three different people's that I want. Okay. Yeah. It's it's so hard, but on the elegant side of things, I'm going to go with Sprite's ability because yeah, creating illusions, that's very mm-hmm. powerful. You can challenge yourself to be clever on how you use that. And then I'm just going to be real basic. I want to shoot powerful beams out of my eyes. I just <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I don't have nuance you know, mm. when it comes to power fantasies. Uh, no, I just want to shoot beams out of my eyes. Oh, I understand. <laughs> Gilgamesh is pretty tempting too. Just oh. being able to punch things real hard, real, real strong. Yep. Yeah, real. Yeah, in those great bracelets of punch and power that he mm-hmm. makes, very cool. Uh, do you have a noise that you could make to sum up your interest in the Eternals? Hmm. That was not my noise. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> tasty, tasty oh, Eternals. Let's see. <laughs> uh, uh, was that the the joy of, of flying, making a discovery? It was the ocean coming in because we start with seeing that great scene oh. five thousand years ago, the ocean coming in, and then we jump out to the five thousand year view, and we're in outer space. Oh, nice! Love it! Great! Um, I would like to have us both rate our obsession level on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest. Uh, Where do you feel you're landing on the Eternals? I mean, right now, mm, I mean, as we're talking about it, I'm like an 8, probably like a 7. I really want to see it again. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and bring up one other thing that I want to mention. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Um, Because is that the other thing I love to talk about, climate change is why the deviants come back uh, because the th- the f- permafrost oh, that's right. is melting and uh, in the Arctic and they come out of it and they're still alive because they're deviants and amazing creatures. And so, you've got, I mean, for myself, it's a Marvel movie that includes all of these amazing ideas and concepts and also includes this amazing story about climate change. Yeah. So that probably puts me up to an eight. It had climate change. It had uh, trees. Yep. <laughs> it had uh, natural history museums. It had nuance. So much nuance. It has all of your key topics that you talk about on Obsessed. Right. Not to mention all of the books that Makari has read while on that ship. <laughs> oh, yes. Right. Like talk about because I assume with all the books like piled everywhere that she's been reading all of those. Yeah. No. Like, yeah. Like she just has like we did a whole episode about like our to read piles. Right. Yeah. And she has. Hundreds of years of have red piles, or does Makari, you know, is she like, oh yeah, there's a whole other room in the ship? Yeah, this is my to read pile. <laughs> this whole room <laughs> on this massive spaceship is my to read pile. That's pretty great. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I'm just in this really weird time where there's just there's there's so much that I want to absorb, and Eternals really impacted me. But I can already feel it just in pop culture, honestly, or just on social media of like. Everything moves so fast. We throw mm-hmm. it out. People put up their hot takes and we kind of move on, you know. Um, but I'm as we talk about it, I'm really, really intrigued by Eternals. I think it's one that's going to be really rewarding to rewatch on, you know, many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love all the MCU movies. And if I had time, I'd just watch the whole thing on on repeat and get all the way to the end and start again. But Eternals, I think it has something special because I really didn't know what to expect. I wasn't sure why the MCU was opening up this Vista. Mm-hmm. And now I'm so happy for it because it's, it was charming, exciting and full, of, like great big ideas. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So all of that did not include a number, did it? No. I'll go seven. Okay. I, I'm seven because I don't have time to be a nine. <laughs> <laughs> Is the honest answer. Uh, all right. Uh, where do you want to be found as we go into our plugging section? Here? Sure. Yeah. I can be found on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw. Excellent. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center. For info on uh, upcoming shows, comedy albums, all kind of stuff like that, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. Final questions don't necessarily have anything to do with the topic, but maybe they will. If you could ride a dinosaur, what dinosaur would you choose? Oh, wow. Um, um, yeah, all of my dinosaur names went out in my head. A brontosaurus. A brontosaurus. Mm-hmm. Nice. Would you sit in the back or would you sit up high at like the base of the neck? I mean, I kind of want to sit up high on the neck, but I would have to ask the <laughs> brontosaurus where it's not going to hurt the brontosaurus because I don't want to like, you know, give them neck pain this is your children's book called let's all be polite to dinosaurs there we go there we go coming soon coming soon (laughs) or not no no (laughs) coming in 25 years (laughs) purpose i will make that children's book uh if you could eat cheese anywhere in the world where would you most want to eat cheese Mm. you know i would really like to eat cheese in a cool cave Cool um, in terms of temperature or... Well, both. But I meant like interesting. like uh, A a real hip cave. Yeah, like like maybe some interesting formations or shape or like some some good uh, sounds, reverberations or some nice like stalactites and stalagmites. Not so much the bats. Okay. Um, But also cool because, you know, I... Warm cheese is not really my thing. Yeah, a cool cave with cool cheese in a tarid pile, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which leads us to our final question, which is always, what is happiness? Mm. I mean, I think happiness is going to be on that beach staring at the fingers uh, that are now marble, I think, or something, of the... um, the uh, The celestial. Thank you. Yeah. Of the celestial, just watching the, the waves lap against the fingertips are they coming out are they going down what's gonna evolve next oh i love that because that was uh i did a i i made a noise in the theater and then i looked over to you to make sure that i hadn't been rude with a loud noise because it's like (laughs) you applaud or you uh you laugh great but i just went like yeah (laughs) because i was overwhelmed by just how cool that image was so powerful so i agree with you uh happiness is a uh, tiamat's <laughs> giant stone fingers right a little sunset behind it <laughs> a little sunset over the stone fingers well thank you everyone uh for listening thank you sarah for obsessing uh, about the eternals with me that is our podcast you've been listening to obsessed joseph scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest rate five stars if you're impressed so there were a couple of uh, mid-credits, post-credit scenes, like people get real excited about with the MCU movies. Uh, mm-hmm. One, uh, these are huge spoilers. Uh, one was involving uh, Thanos' brother, Eros. Uh, great, fine. We can get some more f- stories with the Eternals. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about that, but them being, you know, 
kidnapped and needing to prove humanity's worth with their memories. Mm -hmm. Uh, That sounds fun. That'll be interesting. Uh, But then we got this other one with Dane Whitman in a scary sword. Mm -hmm. Were you excited by that? Yes, I was. (laughs) Uh, I'm very excited uh, because this is one of those things in life that do not matter at all. But it had kind of leaked uh, that Kit Harrington was going to be in a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, who is he going to be? Who is he going to be? And uh, I knew this character that he was going to play from when I collected Avengers comics. And I was just like, I never do this. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to throw it out there. It's like, it's kind of just, it's it's very straightforward casting because I'm used to seeing him as a kind of a noble but edgy guy with the large sword. What if he is? The Black Knight, and then he did become the Black Knight, and I'm so so excited uh, for him to actually grab that sword. Yay! 